welcome to the Creating Us podcast, hosted by the Office of Leader and Culture Development. I'm Jason. And I'm Shelby. And we're excited to be with you as we go on a journey across the Texas Tech University system. All right, here we go. Shelby Jolly, how are you today? I am doing fantastic. Um, You know, last week I was in the office basically by myself. Um, We did have Scott, our new team member there, but you were gone. I was, and it was amazing. And by the way, we will definitely get Scott on um, the podcast, but it was amazing. I got to be in San Diego for the week, um, had a conference uh, or presented talking about servant leadership and stuff that we're doing here across the Texas Tech system, and then got to be a tourist for a couple of days because I'd never been to San Diego before. And oh my gosh, I loved it. I loved everything about it. And I cannot wait to go back. It is my favorite place. If I could move there and it wasn't the most unaffordable city in mm-hmm. America, I probably would. Yeah. But stupid we, expensive out there. It it really is. It really is. But if you didn't notice, Jason called me by my first and last name because we have another Shelby on this podcast today. We have Shelby Grubelnick who is the HRPP director at the Lubbock campus joining us today. How are you, Shelby? I'm great, Shelby. Thank you for asking. Oh, this is going to so be fun. this is going to be fun, right? This is this will be good. Well, um <laughs> all right, not Shelby Jolly, but Shelby. I'm going to go with Shelby, maybe we should go Shelby. We'll figure it out. Um but for our guest, Shelby, um tell us about yourself. So my name is Shelby Grubelnick. Like you guys mentioned, I am the Human Research Protection Program Director for the Lubbock Campus. I also have another subtitle in there, Escrow Director, which is Embryonic Stem Cell Research Oversight. Um, Yeah, it's quite the mouthful. So I'm housed in the Office of Research, for those of you who don't understand all of the crazy acronyms. We um, obviously help our researchers at the HSC campus and guide them on submissions for human research. And then obviously I've got that piece with the embryonic stem cell research as well. So we both have chairs for those oversight committees who meet at least once a month for the human one as needed or ad hoc or escrow. And we sort of deliberate and go through um, research protocols and kind of help everybody at the institution stay above board with regulations, institutional policies, and a little bit of scientific merit in there as well. So it's very fun, very interesting. We get to interact with all of our researchers, whether they've been here for years or they are new and incoming to the institution. So that's really fun for me just because of my background in research. Yeah. Wow. That is, that's a lot, a lot of duties right there. Um, And I know you are at the Lubbock campus and there's, I don't even know how many campuses, uh, for the HSC, like, like four or five. Yes. Right. Um, do y'all do work together? Do y'all collaborate together? Yes. And that's a great question. So Leslin Boyles is the HRPP director in Amarillo campus. Um, our satellite campuses. So Amarillo, Odessa, Permian Basin, Dallas, Abilene, 
oh, there might be another one I'm always leaving off. So I apologize to that campus, but they all go through Leslin and the Amarillo board um, just because Lubbock sort of main campus, we get a lot more submissions. So we kind of broke that into two pieces so that Leslin can help manage all satellite campus um, as well as the Amarillo campus research coming in. So she really does the same duties as far as HRPP, not escrow, but those all come through her for human research. And then for escrow, that is all housed under Lubbock. So things like institutional biosafety, IACUC, which is our animal oversight committee, uh, research compliance, and then escrow, embryonic stem cell, those are all housed in Lubbock. We do not have separate committees for each campus, and that's just research volume. Um, that's what we're working with right now. Obviously, as HSC continues to grow, there might be a potential for other campuses to develop their own committees. It's just um, sort of the the way we're working right now, and it's it's been working great so far. So, yeah, that's it's awesome. so com it's very comprehensive, right? And I think it's a lot of um, a lot of items that people most people don't think about mm -hmm. when it comes to research around humans, animals, uh, etc. So tell us a little bit more about kind of your background. How did you get to where you are? Uh, and we'll we'll start there. I've got a few other follow-ups, but we'll start with that one. So I am Texas Tech alumni, Reckham Tech. I love to give Jason Heck about that. I'm a big <laughs> sports fan. So we used to banter back and forth about our sports teams. But um, I got my undergrad in biomedical, no, I'm sorry, pre-veterinary medicine through Texas Tech. After I left tech, I went to get my master's at Colorado State University because I had every intention of going to vet school there. Um, as it happens, I fell in love with the concentration of my master's degree, which was assisted reproductive technology. So before I even graduated with my master's in biomedical science, I was hired by an IVF lab. I finished out my finals and the last of my um, requirements for graduation in College Station, Texas, while I started working through my internship with the IVF lab. They hired me on um, before the end of that summer, and I stayed there for almost three years working for that IVF lab. That is still to this day, obviously, my love. Um, you, you just can't beat it. But as I got married and wanted to start a family, IVF lab hours are not very family friendly because you have to go in to fertilize eggs and change out medias every, you know, so many hours. And that could be 2 a.m., 6 a.m. It's just around the clock. So I decided I wanted to find something that would let me be a part of the research, a part of medicine, active in the research community, but with a little more family friendly hours. And I found a doorway in with Texas Tech and the Institutional Biosafety Committee first. And so that was kind of how I got in here. And then I have just progressively um, changed roles, whether it was laterally or, you know, moving up a little bit within the Office of Research ever since I did that. And that was almost, was it three or four years ago? Three years. So it'll be three years in January that I started with the Health Sciences Center. Wow. So you talked about, okay, three years, you've had the opportunity to work in a couple different positions, uh, each one giving you, you know, more opportunity to grow as a professional. For those who maybe are just starting out um, in higher ed and have aspirations to become a leader one day, or for those that are seeking maybe something a little bit different, what did you do and what did you focus on to grow yourself and um, kind of prepare yourself for these future opportunities? 
Yeah, great question. So I started out being very open and transparent with my supervisor at the time. Um, didn't want them to think that was a stepping stone position for me, but I really wanted them to know that um, I was highly motivated, very driven. I wanted to, you know, either develop or grow the program that I was in currently or have that trajectory to move up as I advanced and got some experience under my belt. I knew, you know, coming right in, you, you got to put the time in. You can't just expect to advance without doing your time. So I just made that very known and communicated that with my supervisor as well as the head of our department at that time. And they sort of um, introduced me to a lot of different avenues that I could take. And through that, I found the OPV uh, Web and Office of People and Values, sorry, webinars and um, leadership programs that were being offered at that time. So, you know, got permission to do those things, asked if I could sort of help develop my leadership and supervisory experience, knowledge um, through those courses. So I think I did two different leadership courses with OPV. I um, started some coaching programs with Jason himself, and then he recommended a lot of leadership books and things that I could read sort of in my spare time to develop that. And again, I just constantly stayed in communication with leadership within my department about wanting to um, further develop myself and then further develop that program. That program had, you know, started out one way, but we could see that there were some changes that were needing to happen, happen with the uh, change of research and researchers coming in. So there was just a lot of opportunity and I'm not going to say luck was all of it, but I think I did get lucky in that we had this culture shift happening at the institutional level. We had a lot of um, different shifts happening within our department at that level. And that just really laid a great foundation for me to get on this trajectory and move up. And I just had all of the right tools available to me to, um, utilize that. So I think it was all of the right pieces falling into place at once and me utilizing them to the best of my abilities. Yeah. Maybe not luck, but you being exactly where you're supposed to be at the exact time that you're supposed to be there. That, you know, I kind of feel that way about myself sometimes, but so going back, um, I know Jason obviously played a, a big role in your career development, but are there any other individuals that impacted your role as a leader? Absolutely. You know, I would say um, past leaders, even from positions prior to HSC, just knowing their leadership styles. Um, I will say I, you know, born and raised in Texas. I moved away to Colorado for a little bit, but I was fortunate enough in all of the job positions I've had to have great leaders and most of them with strong Christian values, Christian backgrounds, and that really helped develop me as a leader. And for the ones that weren't necessarily great, I was able to learn from their mistakes and take what I wanted from that so that I didn't make those mistakes moving forward. And as a supervisor now, I will say as great as the leadership books and the coaching with Jason and all of the OPV webinars are, some of the the biggest things that stick out to me as a leader are things that I don't want to do based on what I experienced with those bad leaders. So um, all of that has really just played a huge role in my leadership development. Yeah. And, um, and then also, you know, something you said was the, uh, the culture shift happening at HSC. How do you utilize that culture shift and the, the values at HSC 
to kind of lead your team? Um, I think something that sticks out in my head a lot is we we did a lot of webinars when I was first coming in revolving around leading up. And so even though, you know, I started off at a very low position within my department or low on the totem pole, as people say, um, I just sort of took to heart all of the values and, uh, you know, different leadership skills that the OPV team was trying to push out with this culture shift and tried to implement them despite, you know, some some of the people who have been around a little longer that had a hard time shifting with that change. I tried to just, you know, stay the course. I really respect and believed in the values and wanted that to be implemented. And so with that, if you can kind of fight against people above you that are not as adaptive to the change. I think after that, once you get in a certain level of leadership role, it's easy to stick with that. If you, if you can get through the hard parts, then it's easy to stay with the, you know, stay, stay with the course once you've gotten there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that, that point right there, I think is so important in that if you can stick through the difficult, the hard, right, then it's going to become easier um, as the, as you have this. It makes me think I was having a conversation with someone um, when I was at this conference and, you know, we were, I was presenting on the topic of servant leadership and they were saying how, you know, their organization has been so resistant to it. And, you know, we had talked about, well, really focusing on that word servant, right? Take the word servant out. If that's what's holding people up, we know what the elements and we know what the competencies are. I see similarities and almost a connection there to that and saying, you know, yes, as I'm leading up, as I'm influencing up, there may be a little bit of resistance to what we're calling it. Okay, well, let's call it something different, but we're still going to live those core values and those guiding behaviors. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I totally agree. I think semantics, um, semantics, intentions, those words all come to mind. As long as the core values are there, the the behavior is there, label it whatever you want, but put put action to to the words and the um, lessons that are being taught. And that was a lot of it, too. I know a lot of the curriculum that was followed in the leadership programs revolved around there's there's multiple ways to do this to to practice this leadership style. Not everybody's going to do it the same, but if you're focusing at the core and getting you know the core lesson right, then it doesn't matter how you did it, how you say it. Um, it's just getting that core lesson across, that core mindset. If we bring leadership um, values back into it, it's it's really kind of that adaptability then, right? In in kind of how we respond to the environment around us. So I just think that's such a valuable point. Well, I could listen to you, Shelby, talk about your research. Like, really, uh, that's so interesting. And um, so what advice would you give a someone in a new role that is trying to be a leader? What what advice would you give them? Um, honestly, don't don't take things too personally. That that's a hard one. Um, and learn from literally everything, even the smallest of situations. I I would ask. You know, the worst that can happen is somebody says no to you. I would ask to be a part of meetings or ask to be a part of you know different event organizations or um, things even off campus. Can I go talk to these PIs? Can I go meet with this team who's doing this today? Just because 
there's an opportunity in all of that. And the worst somebody can say is no, like I said. So um, put yourself out there, reach out to different people. Like even Jason, when I first got started, I asked him to hook me up with somebody higher in the office of research that wasn't necessarily relative to my position. Um, I had never even met this person and they were in the same department as me, but he set up a conversation and a meeting with this person just so that other potential opportunities were there. Um, we ended up talking and I got to serve on a subcommittee with that person that was um, revolving around another project that kind of had relative experience to my IVF background. And so that, that was another cool opportunity that really got some networking out there for me, a networking opportunity. And now I'm housed a couple offices down from that person and they are still obviously high up in the office of research, but that just, that foot in the door helped develop a relationship that led to other networking opportunities. So don't be afraid to ask, put yourself out there. Um, really know that if you're living in the hard times, like there's going to be hard times, but you can do things to turn it around. Um, and it just, that's so situational. It depends on the situation, but like me reaching out to Jason for that coaching, that really got me through some hard, hard times where I felt like I was stagnant. I wasn't going to have the opportunity to move up as soon as I thought I could. And, um, I stayed the course, I toughed it out and three years. I mean, it felt like a long time when I was living it, but that is nothing. Three years is nothing. And, um, real time whenever I'm looking at how many advancement opportunities I've had in that three years. Yeah. You know, listening to you, um, about pushing yourself more going out there more, it reminds me of, um, I started the book called the success factor and it said, you know, people normally give about 95%. And so if you're one of those people that gives that extra 5% to get to a hundred, you're going to be noticed. And so I feel like that's you. Oh, you know? <laughs> I don't think that's a compliment. That's, you know, we talked a lot about work-life balance and I felt like, you know, how can you give a hundred percent in both professional mm-hmm. and personal? I recently had twins um, oh and I also God. already have a four-year-old. So that was all happening with these promotions and these challenges that we're facing at work. Um, just with some big projects we had and I'm going I am not a half-hearted person. I have to give 110% in everything I do, or I feel like I'm failing. And some people are like, well, you know, you got to give yourself a break. You can't give 110% here and 110% there because you're going to just burn out. Yeah. I just, I have not, I've not gotten there yet. I'm not burned out yet, but if I'm doing something half-heartedly, I feel like I am failing. So, and I know that's so cheesy to say and, everybody's like, Oh gosh, but it's just, it's a feeling I get when I know I'm not giving 110%. I'm like, okay, what can I do to shift this and get back to where I need to be? Because I don't want to be putting out half-hearted work and serving people half-heartedly in my role anyways, professionally or personally. I mean, this is, this is what we talk about, you know, when we say, and people will ask these questions, you know, how do I move forward? And that could be, when we talk about moving forward, that could be a lot of different things. For some people it is, they want more responsibility. They want a higher level position, but others, they want to be able to grow in their position. And so I think everything you just said there, I mean, what a perfect example. Um, And I think it's something that we can all look to, to say, Hey, you know, you were able to do this and, you know, one of the, and, and being a mom, um, doing this while being a mom, my goodness, uh, the extra challenges that go with that. 
So as we wrap up our time together, what final piece of advice? And and I actually, I want to narrow this down. I want to talk about that work-life balance because my goodness, you know, having twins myself, I know how challenging that can be. How did you keep that passion? How did you keep that motivation um, while you were balancing you know, being a mom and being a wife, and then also, you know, you're fulfilling your career aspirations. Well, I'm going to give credit where credit is due because I I could not be serving at 110% if I didn't have a team of wonderful people around me and above me. My boss, my supervisor, um, Dr. Sorensen, has been extremely supportive and um, just she has contributed to my growth in such a way that I don't even think I can put it into words. So she's a mom herself. She is an attorney. She also has her PhD. She is somebody to look up to and aspire to. um, And that's not me boosting her up. She really just has been able to take what I've told her and know what I want to do growth wise in my profession and personally, really. And she has been able to sort of serve and cater to that in a way that she knows will continue to challenge me, will continue to grow the office of research, grow the HRPP program. Um, And I think just having that relationship with the people around you, whether it's your supervisor or your team. um, I also have a great team of people working beside me with me in, in research integrity. So If you're in a place where you feel like your team isn't going to foster and cultivate that motivation, that growth um, for you, then maybe that's where you start is, you know, finding finding a place that you can surround yourself with people that are going to motivate you to be better every day. Because if you're sitting with people, serving with people on a team that don't motivate you and are just kind of good with being stagnant, staying where they are, it's going to be really hard to stay motivated and, and want to grow and develop in bigger and better ways. So that that's probably the the best advice I can give is find your team, find your people, because if you don't have that, your, your foundation isn't going to be very solid. It's going to be hard to uh, stick it out. Love that. That's (laughs) awesome. So Shelby Jolly, uh, (laughs) final thoughts. Well, I have absolutely enjoyed having another Shelby on here, one, but two, getting to hear more about you and your role. I mean, it is so fascinating and I would love to just sit and listen to all your research stuff because that is, I mean, amazing stuff. So, um, but I just want to thank you so much for coming on here and, and telling us about yourself and your role. So, Yes. Thank you so much, Shelby. And it was very nice to meet you. I had lots of fun uh, corresponding with another Shelby and giving Jason lots of trouble. That's always fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, uh, Shelby, it was it was so great having you on here. And, and like we said, every interview we do, it gets even better. I'm so proud of the growth that you have. And I'm just so excited for you um, in all of these opportunities. So I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of the Creating Us podcast. If you have any comments or questions, please let me know at jason.weber at ttu.edu. Until next time, I'm Jason. And I'm Shelby. Take care.